Hey everyone, you're listening to Something Real. On today's Something to Talk About episode, we are discussing what Jesus said to his disciples when there was a big storm coming. He said, where is your faith? And basically what he was saying is, do you trust me? Where are you putting your trust? And so we're diving a little deeper into into that idea today. So hope you enjoy the episode. Morning, Stacy. Good morning. We're uh, back in Luke chapter eight, and we're continuing um, following the, the the story where Jesus uh, gives the parables of the the soils, and then talks about a lamp um, having a purpose for illuminating and not being covered up, and, and and calling us to be productive in our in our faith. That if we really get it, if we understand um, all of of what. Christ is doing for us and the mercy and grace of God toward us that really nothing else is going to matter and he kind of punctuates that at the end with um, his response to his mother and brothers showing up to see him and he lets everybody know look you know not that he doesn't love his family but my mother and brothers are those who hear and do God's word this is a team thing. We we have a mission. We're going to focus on on that. That's bigger than the individual human relationships. And then he goes into a story that that many of us are familiar with, whether whether we've ever read it in the Bible or not. Right. I think most everybody has heard it about Jesus calming the storm. They're out on the lake. See a theme so. with these several parables in a row here. They're they're I think like you just said, even if you've never seen them in the Bible, you've yeah. heard of them. Yeah, they're I mean they're part of Western culture, <laughs> right. part of American culture, and so. As we uh, go through all of this stuff, a lot of these things are familiar. They're things that people have heard that they know about, uh, even if they don't actually read them in the scriptures themselves. So uh, anyway, Luke 8, we're picking up with verse 22, and uh, Jesus is... um, He's going with his disciples to the other side of the lake. Uh, they're at Galilee. And they get out into a boat, and they get out on the lake, and everything is calm. And uh, apparently it's very relaxing, and Jesus takes a nap. Doesn't and, have a problem with seasickness. Right, yeah. So, or, or maybe that's why. But, <laughs> but he, he's asleep down in the bow of the boat. And while they're sailing and he's sleeping, uh, which, I mean, I guess it makes sense. He's the non-sailor of them, right? The carpenter right. doesn't sail the boat. If you got sailors there, you do the it. So, um, so they're sailing, and, and uh, it says in the NIV, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him in verse 24, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Uh, clearly, from the whole tone of it, they're overwhelmed. They're freaked out. They're stressed. They really and they're see sailors, nothing. and they're so used they're, to this. Right. right? This is not like so. It must have been a pretty serious storm because right. they're used to rough water on the lake, right. and, and that's the nature of Galilee in particular, with the the geographical setting there and the topographical setting that they have. Very quickly, they can have these storms come on them. It can be calm, and then bam, you get overwhelmed. And so, as they're um, going through this. Uh, they're they're freaked out as uh, professional uh, boatsmen, and Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind. It says he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Uh, in the message, it says he he spoke to the wind and said silence and and quiet down, and they did what he told them. Um, and then Jesus says to them a, a really important question, which I think is the point of the entire uh, this entire scene. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples, and they are blown away. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, "Who is this?" He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And uh, so, 
Jesus is kind of questioning them about this as they're going through this, their faith is tested, it's tried uh, and, and overwhelmed by the circumstances that they're facing. They're out in this storm and everything around them is saying death. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is saying, me, <laughs> really? I mean, wh- where is your faith? There's, um, this reminds me, if anybody with children, there's a children's book called The Storm That Stopped and it's this. Nice. So... Read that. Pick that up. It's good. <laughs> Christmas is coming. Um, how fitting <laughs> for literally everyday life. You know, we talk. This podcast is about the reality of God and the realities of life. And seeing something like this in the Bible, I mean, it very clearly applies to our lives today. Yeah. Uh, maybe not a you know a literal storm, but I you know sometimes storms. Sometimes scare me. <laughs> I mean, we've been dealing with hurricanes so right, much recently, right. and so many other things. But if we're if we're talking about you know the parables before this, and this is obviously I mean something that really happened, but you can also look at a storm from a metaphorical standpoint right. in your life. Um, and it's a and little... Only a couple of chapters ago, Jesus did that same thing. Right, and he talked right. about a house that will stand in the right. storm and a house that won't. Right. And it's very humbling. And to me, almost kind of embarrassing because I get scared about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's making it very clear. Where's your faith? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm here. Put your faith in me. And instead, I look toward other ways to, to fix the problem or to, or to, to silence that fear or make it go away, uh, and I—I I mean, I don't think I'm the only one that does that. No, <laughs> so, clearly not. So I mean, it's—it's it's astounding to me this particular uh, section. Just even though it's—it's it's a, a real situation, it's astounding to me how relevant it is in right. daily situations. Yeah, we have a lot of storms that hit us in life, don't we? Those metaphorical storms, and sometimes the the literal weather storms. But right. but the the idea of our circumstances being overwhelming and feeling like they're going to take us down where you, you, I just can't see any way out of this. There, there's so many people say to me over and over again, you know, I, I can't go on. I just can't, I can't go on. I'm I like, probably well, said that to you. <laughs> probably. Yeah. But, but I hear it all the time. Right. I mean, it's like almost daily. Somebody is saying, I can't take it anymore. I'm not sure what options you have, right. really. I mean, unless you're going to end it all, which is not a good option. You got to you, you gotta take you, it. You put one foot in front right. of the other because it's still Soon coming. Soon you'll you be know? walking across the floor. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to have to get some Christmas movies out. Uh, but as, as Jesus is talking to them, that question of where is your faith, I think most of the time as I've read it, and, and maybe maybe most of us do, I've kind of taken it as an indictment, as, as a, a condemnation. And I'm not sure that that's the right uh, connotation of it. One of the things that I really recommend to people is if you're, if you're studying Scripture, study in a, in a sound uh, translation. Uh, my personal preference is the NIV, and particularly the 1984 edition over the 2011 edition, which is also sound. Uh, very popular among Bible teaching churches today is the English Standard Version, the, the ESV, uh, which is another very solid translation. A little more literal than the NIV, but I think one of the advantages of the NIV is it catches more connotation, more more nuance than what 
the ESV or uh, the New American Standard Bible is a, an older one from the um, 60s and 70s that mm-hmm. was very popular through the 80s and uh, has sort of been replaced by the ESV, but they're, um, those are a little more word for word, and the NIV is a little more thought for thought, but they're both in that center sweet spot. Um, the message translation is very dynamic. Some people call it a paraphrase, and it's not truly that. It's really a dynamic translation with some additional commentary. Like there will be certain times that to bring out the flavor, the nuance of the text. I think I'm drawn toward the message for that reason. Yeah, Dr. Peterson will add in some lines that may not necessarily be there, but are conveying the fuller thought that if you just do a word-for-word translation, you miss that. And I think this particular um, piece, I think he he hits that nuance. The Amplified Bible is another really good one to look at. It's not a great uh, Bible for reading aloud necessarily. It doesn't have that same flow, but it it takes a look at um, the the actual literal literal translation, or as literal as you can be in in direct uh, translation. But then we'll put in parentheses or in brackets, depending on on what the situation is that they're dealing with. Um, some explanation to amplify the text to give you the the nuance the 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 way it would come across to the original audience what what is the author saying to the original reader mm-hmm. and uh, or hearer and so the message does that but in a in more of a um it, it's it includes it into the actual writing of it rather than separating it out by brackets so that's the the in, in my use of it, I would see the message and the Amplified as very similar, uh, just stylistically different. Anyway, all of that to say, I recommend in this particular phrase, as you, whenever you're going through your Bible study, you read multiple translations. If you have Greek and Hebrew tools or you have a knowledge of those languages, that's great. But for most of us, we don't have those things. Uh, we can get the tools, but even with the tools, if I don't get a full picture of it, it's easy to get sidetracked by things that don't matter. Right. To be able to to look at the various translations and put together the full picture of it can help me get a better understanding of the text that I'm reading. And I think that's the same thing in reading um, various cross-references in Scripture. When I read um, the stories in Luke 8, and then I see that that the same stories are told in Mark 4 or mm-hmm. Matthew 10 mm-hmm. or, or wherever that um, are told from a different perspective. As I read those things in parallel, it can fill in the gaps where I might not fully understand it. Luke has a particular purpose for writing what he's writing the way he's writing it. God is inspiring these words to convey a particular message. So when Mark is telling the same story, God is using Mark's perspective to to carry out a separate purpose that is clearly related if it's the same story. And then Matthew, the same thing. John, different perspective in John's. But, but all of these things give us sort of a, a 4D picture, if you will, of, of how these things come together. So when we read the same things and the cross-references from other passages are going back to Old Testament prophecies that relate. And we see the context when Jesus quotes Isaiah 6-9 as he did earlier in, in uh, chapter 8. And we go back and look, what is Isaiah actually saying? Who's he saying it to? Why is he saying it? What's the point? Then that can help us understand what Jesus is saying to the people that he's talking to in the book of Luke. 
So when we see this question, where is your faith? Dr. Peterson in the message renders that, why can't you trust me? And I think that helps fill in the picture of what Jesus is saying. And if we go back to what he said about John the Baptist uh, a short time ago, as John the Baptist, who of everybody who's ever lived, should know exactly who Jesus is. He saw um, the, the Father speak and the Spirit appear uh, when he baptized him. He, his whole life is based on Jesus being the Messiah. So nobody knows this better than John. And yet in the moment, John had, I don't know of a better way to say it than doubts. Yeah. You know, he had a, a, a gap in information, and so that created anxiety and uncertainty and about the future. He wanted reassurance. Right. So he asked the question, you know, are you really the one? Or, you know, not doubting God, but perhaps yeah. doubting his understanding of right. God. Do I, am I getting this right? And Jesus doesn't condemn him for a lack of faith or for a lack of understanding. He instead defends him and says, look, there's nobody that's ever been born that's greater than John. And yet the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Right. So it doesn't really make sense that he would condemn then the disciples. Right. So he's not, and he's not condemning you either. When you say, you know, it feels like, you know, sometimes this is so stupid. Why do I have this anxiety about these things? We're going to have anxiety when we have gaps in our understanding. So when we fill in those gaps, then that reduces our anxiety. Then it becomes, as you and I have talked about recently, uh, off the off the recording here, um, it becomes a choice. Mm-hmm. Now, when I have this information gap and I have the information available to me, am I going to rely on the information that I have? Am I going to take action about this or am I going to choose to worry? And I do get that choice. And Jesus never doesn't allow people to have that choice. But he always points out, here's the reality. Here's, here's what's actually going on. You get to decide well, what you do if with you're going to freak or not. You, right. So he doesn't you know, touch, their, touch their heads like Loki in the, in the Avengers. And, and all of a sudden, seen it. Well, you can repent and we'll <laughs> pray for your soul. But uh, he, he doesn't control their minds and say, okay, peace and you, right. you kind of get that vibe in some of the jesus yeah. movies and memes jesus and movies. and we're gonna you know pray god calm my heart that's not actually what we see in scripture right. almost ever i don't want to say ever because maybe i'm missing something but i don't recall ever seeing any story where jesus comes in and, and just breathes upon like you and all of a sudden yeah there's there's no, no fear stress, no worry what he does is he brings you front and center face to face with reality Mm -hmm. here's reality here's who i am here's what the scriptures say here are the promises of god what are you gonna do with it walk in it or don't walk in it and that's the kind of the soil picture that he gave earlier in the chapter that's the same thing in the old testament when god says to joshua commands him don't be afraid it's it is a command but it's also an encouragement Mm -hmm. saying look i'm gonna be with you what do you have to be afraid of you're still going to have fear. Choose not to be afraid in the midst of that fear. You're still going to have anxiety. If you're in a storm where you're about to drown, fear is the natural and appropriate reaction. But the question he's saying here is, where are you putting your faith? When stuff gets scary, when the storm hits, are you going to trust in what you see? Are you going to trust in the circumstances and your ability to comprehend it, your ability to sail through that storm? Or are you going to trust that you've got the creator of the universe in the bow of the boat. I'm here for a purpose. Trust me. I think you putting it that way, 
are you going to trust in what you see? We often don't see the full picture. We choose we, not to see, we choose right. not to see the full yeah. picture. We choose not to get all the information. And even if we don't, we can't see the whole right, picture because right. I don't have God's perspective. Right. But we I think, you know, we focused we focus a lot on bits and pieces of situations that right. we want to and they're usually the most negative ones especially if they relate to people right you know that they, they can never change you know that's this person is whatever because i think in my mind what i project into them only god knows that stuff right and we talked about you know before we started recording this if you want to use the the analogy of a storm it it refers to both external and internal storms Absolutely. you know what's going on inside of us the 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 turmoil. What that, a brilliant segue that is into the next portion where Jesus you are welcome. Is, <laughs> Jesus is dealing with this man uh, in, in um, among the Gadarenes who is uh, possessed by demons. He's, he is. Uh, I mean, it's a messed up story. A guy's going around naked, uh, which is That's just generally my nightmare. Upon. <laughs> yeah, I I don't even want to know, but. Um, you know, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Um, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs in the cemetery. Just weird, right? So Creepy. When, when, when the devil gets a hold of your mind, you do things that don't make sense. That We can look at this, and that obviously doesn't make sense. Right. But we do that in our lives yeah. in more socially acceptable ways. We wear clothes or whatever. But when the devil gets a hold of our thoughts, we do things that are out of step with reality. And it seems real to us. It seems mm-hmm. in that perspective that we have as we listen to those lies. And it's often very subtle. It, it is. Now, a, a is demonic possession like this, this is not subtle in any way. Right. But for most of us... It's not that. It's that the devil tells us lies and we buy it. And we begin right. to get sucked into that thinking that nothing else makes sense except for what's in our mind. It, the, it, it's a block for reality. It absolutely is. And so this guy is like that on steroids. Right. It, the, he actually has been, um, his, all of his faculties have been taken over by demons. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the point where it actually changes his physical ability. I've been watching uh, Chuck. I don't know if you're familiar with the oh, Chuck yeah. series. Great, great series in a lot of ways. Not child appropriate. But um, I, I'm always marveling, you know, so Chuck has the intersect, this supercomputer in his brain that then eventually later on in the series he gets to do all these, you know, cool things as it affects it. Now he knows Kung Fu because it's downloaded in his brain. And I'm always amazed if he physically couldn't do that before, how can he physically do that now? You yeah. know, maybe you know how, but right. how do you do that? And then I read this story, and all of a sudden Chuck makes sense. <laughs> maybe not. But anyway, I'm reading the story, and what ends up happening is, uh, this is in verse, like, 29. Um, For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. I'm jumping ahead, so I'm missing part of the story. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So there is an effect that's going on here that even the spiritual thing inside of him is unleashing a, a, you know, Incredible Hulk back in the 70s TV show with Bill Bixby and, and, and Lou Ferrigno where... You, you get overwhelmed, right. like that picture of the mom. I was going to say, lifting the car off her yeah. child. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. So that so there's something that happens there that I don't fully understand physiologically from within, and that's happening for this for this man as these demons are controlling him. But 
anyway, after he encounters him, when when Jesus shows up in verse uh, 28, when the, when the demoniac uh, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? It's interesting that all of the demons always He's recognize gonna, yeah, who he is. Like, it doesn't do him any good. Right. So when people say, well, I believe in Jesus, fine. It doesn't do you any good. So does the devil. Unless, that's exactly <laughs> right. Unless you are surrendered to Jesus, right. you're... You're stuck. You, yeah, great. You recognize reality, and gravity still keeps me on the ground, and the sky is blue, and you know that's just how it is. Um, Pizza is great. That is an objective <laughs> truth. So when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell at his feet, and he and he's he says, "I beg you, don't torture me," for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. So there's something that happens here in this story as Jesus engages and he commands commands the demon to come out and they beg for mercy and uh verse 30 jesus asked him what is your name i'm not exactly sure why he asked that but Hmm. god is inspiring that to be a part of the story so that maybe we recognize the plurality of of the demonic presence not really sure why that's there but it's intriguing he says what is your name that's the only time I remember him asking these demons, you know, what what is your name? Because he's asking the demon, not the man. Right. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Uh, and, and perhaps he is. Maybe that's the point. Maybe he is asking the man, and this is showing the the depth of control that the demons have over gotcha. him, that he's lost his mm-hmm. identity. I don't, I don't really know. I don't want to speak authoritatively sure, sure, on something sure. I don't understand. But one way or another, all of those possibilities... That, that come together in that, we see that this man has many demons that had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. That is the, the final resting place, if you will, of, of demons in the book of Revelation. Um, so they're basically saying, don't judge us before our time is their, their plea here. And then I, you know, again, I don't know why Jesus does this, but a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man. They went into the pigs, and the herd was rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. One thing I know for sure from reading this is demons are destructive. You know, this is they are aligned with Satan, the father of lies, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So their their sense of relief, and I think we see this one. Uh, when people are hurting in very desperate situations, especially when um, we see a lot of psychological issues that I believe, I really do believe are, are spiritual, not uh, psychological in nature. Uh, and we see a lot of self-harm. We see people who are drawn to harm others. I believe that is a spiritual torment that is driving them there. And I think that's borne out by what happens here with, with the demons. They're tormenting this man. And when Jesus casts them out of the man, they have to release this by killing these pigs. Again, I don't want to speak authoritatively. This is an observation and reading. That's crazy. Um, and, and why does Jesus allow that? Why doesn't he send them to the abyss? I don't know. We're not told. So it would be foolish and irresponsible to speak to things that were not given in Scripture. So then what, though? What happens to the pigs or what happens? Well, the pigs die. The pigs die, right. What happens to the demons then if the pigs are dead? And, and that's the question. So now then are they released into Did Jesus send them to the abyss anyway go? after that? Or uh, they... That doesn't seem to be the case because okay. then why would he have destroyed the pigs? Because that would be, right. if that's the case. Yeah, that's true. 
Again, not, not sure because we're not told. We just know that the pigs go into the lake and are drowned, which is going to cause some problems. And again, they're they're in a Jewish area. What are the pigs doing there? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So there is this is the opposite side of the lake from Galilee. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. Uh, so they'd be closer to Jerusalem rather than farther mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. There, there must obviously be um, Gentiles in the area, or the Jews have become really, really lax in this. <laughs> I had not something that I've looked into, right. and I probably should before uh, before Sunday. But anyway, as we're <laughs> dealing with this, uh, those tending the pigs saw what had happened. They ran off and reported in the town and the countryside, and the people went out uh, to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. This is where it really gets awesome. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Remember in your mind the picture of of this guy, violent, vile, uh, living among the cemetery naked, right? Mm -hmm. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And notice the response of the people. They were afraid. Wouldn't you think when you see somebody who was, you know, absolutely a scourge and now... He's there sitting, dressed, rational, and this is when you become afraid? Well, (laughs) I get that in a way because this guy was like this for a couple years at least. Yeah. You know, crazy old Maurice is, is, you know, you get used to that. As as weird as it is, you get used to that with some people. I have Beauty and the Beast in my head. Well, whatever. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Like, you get used to people's weirdness that is such a good point but and then if you see them and i think this happens to christianity a lot you know not that if you when you become saved you're just automatically you know shiny happy people but people are yeah but that's rare but like we talked about last week with um you know being being a light and what we're called to do as as Mm -hmm. christ followers that can scare people, right. especially if you used to be one way and now all of a sudden you're this way. I'm comfortable with you the way you right. were. When we were drinking together, when right. we were carousing together, right. you know, so I can look down on me. you and I'm used to looking down on you. But now when now that you're light, your right. light convicts me. When you were a nutto, yeah. like fine. And now you're this way. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So these folks are afraid. I didn't afraid. mean to say nutto. I'm sorry. I thought that was awesome. I, I <laughs> I resisted making a comment about it, but now that we're there. So anyway, uh, as as they see this, they're afraid. And perhaps they're afraid because, like they seen before, and we'll see again, uh, the, the religious leaders and others would say Jesus cast out demons mm-hmm. by Beelzebub. So why does he have control over demons? Oh, because he's one of them. You know, he's among, right. he's a, you know, he's an evil demoniac himself which clearly is not the case, and that's been been uh, established. But maybe that's part of their thought. Maybe it's just the fact that he's upset the apple cart. You know, we're used to this is our status quo, and you've you've broken up our homeostasis now. We don't really know how to handle right. this. So um, it, there's a, a a cultural earthquake in our community. In any case, they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon possessed man had been cured. Excuse me. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. Stop making demon possessed people normal. Uh, because, or maybe it's because they're not normal. Right. You know, they're closer to normal when right. they were freaks right. than they are when right. they're in their right mind. Uh, because they were overcome with fear, so we got into the boat and left. 
which tells you something about Jesus. They asked him to leave. He didn't protest. He didn't throw a fit. Right. He didn't, you know, he didn't post on Facebook about how badly they treated him. Uh, he didn't give him a bad Yelp review. He just left. One star. <laughs> the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Which is going to be very interesting because in the next story, he's going to tell the people who are there, don't tell anybody about this. Right. But he says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Or tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Uh, clearly, we see once again Christ equated with God. But what we see, as you, as you mentioned before I uh, started talking about this, is not only the storms outside the boat, but the storms inside of us, the storm mm -hmm. inside of this man who had this ongoing inner turmoil, this battle with demons that was much more deadly and much scarier than the storm on the sea, which may have destroyed them physically. Right. But Jesus is dealing with both storms. He's the master of the physical and the spiritual realm. And like we mentioned earlier, I think it's important for us to recognize that our internal storms don't have to be some huge demon possession where we're walking right. around naked and doing whatever. Right. And I think it's often very subtle things that try to try to take us down and make us question things. And I think the underlying actual question here is the one Jesus asked, where is your faith? Right. And we'll see those more subtle storms internally as we go through. There are a lot of internal conflicts that will come up that are more subtle than this. Right. So he's, there's no storm that's too big for him. Whatever's going on inside your heart, whatever spiritual thing that's going on, it's not that he can't handle it. Right. And it's not that it's so small that he doesn't care. Right. So all of these things are within the scope of what Jesus can and will and wants to do for us. But very often we want him to do the things that are not related. They're not relevant. Right. And so, you know, he calms the storm, but they have to choose whether they're going to trust him. Where is your faith? Are you going to trust in me? Are you going to trust in your ability to process this? Are you going to, I mean, we do this so often in our day with things I mentioned. I think a lot of the things that we handle as psychological issues, you know, we, we want to medicate for all kinds of things, for depression, for anger, for a lot of things that I think are more spiritual than they are uh, psychological or physiological. Uh, that's not always the case. Sometimes there is a physiological reason right. that leads to it. But generally speaking, I, I really think that more often than not, if we get the spiritual side of it right, then the rest of it follows. And and again, if you have a medical deficiency in a you know that's a hormone right. or whatever, that's a totally different situation. And I don't mean to tell anybody who might be on medication go throw your medication away right. and quit. But we do need to look at things more deeply than we do. And when we only see things from a secular, um, naturalist type of perspective, then we're putting our faith in human knowledge, in those things, rather than putting our faith in the promises of God's Word. When Jesus says, where is your faith? Or as Dr. Peterson renders it, why don't you trust me? The question has less to do with how much faith you have then what is the object of your faith? What are you trusting in? How much faith you have just is only determined by how much practice do you have in trusting? Mm -hmm. you know, are, you, are you getting better and better at trusting? Are you exercising that faith muscle, so to speak? Um, 
that's the only thing that really determines how much faith you have. When God gives you the ability to trust, to the ability to see who he is and opens your eyes to that, then from that point on, every single one of us has the Spirit of God guiding us if we will respond. He has chosen us. He's put us in that position. He's opened our eyes where we would not open our eyes on our own. He has given us the ability to see what we could not see on our own because the sinful heart doesn't submit to God, nor can it do so, according to Romans 8. So when God reaches in and changes us, that doesn't mean that this man was, you know, demons are cast out and he's automatically discipled. He's not a grown, mature believer. But now, for the first time, he is free to make choices because he's spiritually been changed. He's been altered. We spend a lot of time wanting to focus on free will, but free will's never done anything for us but get us in trouble until our free will is governed by the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. So Adam and Eve in eating that that apple can be excited about the fact that they were able to have a free choice. It was a wrong choice, but it was my choice. Well, that's a pretty arrogant human perspective. The reality of it is God gives us opportunities to trust him. Here's a storm. Here's the circumstance. You get a choice right now. Every storm is an opportunity for us to decide, will I worship my own understanding or will I worship the one who created the storm? And if I will choose to trust him, doesn't mean it's not still scary when the squall is there and the waves are coming over the boat, mm-hmm. but I don't have to lose it. I don't have to freak because I know he's in charge. Simple. Still scary. My heart's still beating fast, still feeling intense. Uh, and anybody who knows me knows I get real intense about a lot of things. But I can have a stabilizing calm through that, even in the midst of my anxiety. I can I cannot be afraid in the midst of my fear. Or, as John Wayne would say, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. I can do that when I recognize that I've got the king of creation in the boat with me and he's on my side. I can't lose. Whatever happens, it's because he's choosing to let that happen. So it must be the right thing. Some people would say that's a simplistic uh, point of view. I think it's the only valid point of view. And we, when we look at reality, there is God. Mm-hmm. Everything else either comes from God or is the matrix. It's, the, it's this... I've never seen that I know, either. You're, you're young. It <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with <laughs> it. It's, it's a pseudo-reality. It appears to be something that it isn't. And we're programmed to believe that it's right, even though it's not. And we see the same thing with the, this man from Gadarenes. Uh, from Gerasenes here, and it's just two different ways of saying the same thing. And as as Jesus is dealing with him, he releases him from the bondage that he's in. Now this man finally can choose what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He can choose to follow God or not. And clearly that's what he wants. He wants to, to follow Jesus. You set me free. How Literally, could I too. want to do anything right. else but be with you? And Jesus says, really, you know, what what I need you to do, here's your job. You go tell everybody what God did for you. Isn't that what we should all be doing? Yes. Every single one of us, if we've been set free, how can we not tell people, I was dead, I was enslaved, and I'm alive. I've been set free. 
And do I still have problems? Well, yeah. Now I have to buy clothes. I didn't have to buy clothes before. You know, it's my budget. Did I just ruin at a serious moment yes. by being a wiseacre? Anyway, uh, that's my grandpa's phrase. So Jesus sets things right, but he doesn't magically make the emotions happen. The, the emotions follow our thoughts. And so when, in one situation, he may calm the storm. In the other situation, he may calm his child. But in all of it, it's a matter of where is your faith? Will you trust me or will you not? I think that's a good way to wrap it up here. So thanks for listening, everyone.